This show is brought to you by earpeeler.com. What's up, everybody? This is John Bush from Armored Saint, and you are cranking it up. Hey there, this is Joey Vera from Armored Saints, and you are listening to Mars Attack. This is Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein of Doyle, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what do you say? Be careful, because Mars Attacks. This is Bobby Blitz from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windorf from Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's happening? This is Tommy Victor from Prong and Danzig. Hey, all, here's Andrea Peter from Sepultura and De La Tierra, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Enjoy. Yo, what's up? This is Frank Fellow from Anthrax, and you are listening to Mars Attack. Turn it up! Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter, and you're listening to Mars Attack. Hello, everybody. This is Max Cavalera, Soulfly. You're listening to Mars Attack. Stay metal. This is Brant Bjork. And you're listening to Mars Attacks. So keep listening. Hey, what's up? This is Kyle from The Sword, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Sammy Lee, drummer of Red Rain, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Welcome, one and all, to episode 153 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And I am back after the last episode was posted in the beginning of March. And as you can check out from my Victor M. Ruiz podcast, I have been sick since then. I still continue to be fighting all types of health issues. And I will leave it at that. If you want to hear more, check out the latest episode of the Victor M. Ruiz podcast. You'll hear all types of details about all that fun and great stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I am back, uh, not because I didn't want to do another podcast, you know, anytime sooner. It's just that due to life issues springing up, health issues springing up, I just have not been able to do so. So um, this is going to be a, I wouldn't say a longer episode. There's going to be two interviews here. There's Sammy from Red Rain, and there's going to be John Bush from Armored Saint. And you're going to be hearing, you're going to be hearing, um, you know, some some different things from John in in the coming weeks. Uh, it's going to be a I don't know if you want to call it Bushfest or not, but uh, there's going to be plenty of stuff going on. We'll leave it at that. I want to leave a element of surprise, but this isn't going to be the only time that you'll hear John Bush on the show uh, in in the next few weeks. And uh, it's been great talking to him for for various different things. And I hope you guys enjoy what I have in store for you guys with him. And um, what I'm also going to do is is I'm going to play some some music, something that I wanted to veer away from, but why not? <laughs> it's been a few weeks, so there's going to be you know a few tunes that I'm that we're going to check out here. They're going to go along with some things that um, that I just wanted to discuss. So um, before going any further, I do want to thank uh, 
Antoni Espin from here in uh, Barcelona, Barcelona, Spain. Catalonia, for those that uh, want to get pissed at me for saying that. Um, anyway, he's always gracious enough to donate to the show. Uh, I thank you greatly for your, for always listening to this podcast, for repeatedly helping out uh, from a financial standpoint. It is greatly appreciated. And um, we're, we're going to check out some music, which I will dedicate to him in a little bit. But uh, I do want to remind everyone about all the different things that you can do to support the podcast. And we do have the PayPal donation button there, which is what he went ahead and did. Uh, you can also purchase stuff on Amazon using our links. Uh, we have a, a link right there at the top of the website that says Amazon store. You can click on that, or you can click on one of the Amazon ads uh, throughout the site. Uh, if you're not in the States, if you click on Amazon store, you'll find links to various stores from around the world. Uh, you'll be able to check out links to uh, Amazon UK, Amazon Germany, Amazon France, uh, Amazon Spain, as well as uh, Amazon US. Uh, you'll also find links at the bottom of every post now to uh, the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo, something that I was I was asked to participate in, unfortunately, due to financial reasons, I cannot. I would love to be able to go there and meet all the various podcasters uh, that I help promote via Earpeeler and ones that I've talked to behind the scenes for years. But I just financially can't do it. And there were people that had um, had had said that they would help out with that. I mean, with good conscience, I, I, I can't do that. Uh, I also have family obligations that I have to... Uh, you know, take care of. I can't up and leave <laughs> just for ju- just for that as as much as I'd love to. But uh, again, life <laughs> is what it is. So, um, if you want to help support the Nashville uh, Rock and Pod Expo, just click on any of the banners that you see on the site. It'll take you to the Patreon page where you can uh, help support that great great cause. Uh, there's also links to Earpeeler. And Patreon, if you're not aware of what Earpeeler is, it is a podcasting news site that I have been running for almost two years now. Close to 33,000 posts on the site where I'm posting about uh, audio podcasts and video podcasts, uh, music lessons, uh, gear reviews, gear demos. Uh, We've expanded to include wrestling podcasts. Uh, some Star Wars related podcasts. Uh, I mean, it's focused on hard rock and metal, but you know, I have been doing other things. There are some things with pop music and hip hop and uh, posted a documentary on outlaw country this week. So if there are shows that I frequently post about and they're sort of veering off the beaten track or they're introducing a new show as with like, say cranked up live, um, I've added that content as well. You know, just trying to uh, spread the word of hardworking podcasts, hardworking podcasters, and uh, trying to expand the audience. You know, so uh, uh, with Earpeeler, got the Patreon link there. If you're 
so inclined to, you know, donate to that cause and much appreciated as well. And donating to that is like donating to Mars Attacks as well, because I mean, the, the initial thing that we're trying to do is get funding for, you know, uh, better servers and, uh, reworking all the sites and, and all that. And I mean, Mars attacks would be greatly impacted and would greatly improve if we're able to raise the money that I'm looking for. So there you go. Uh, there's also uh, merch that you can purchase. So there are links to the merch store throughout the page also. So those are all the different ways that you can help the, the show out. And uh, starting starting uh, with the next episode, we're, we're going to be doing uh, something uh, as Paul Stanley would say, special. <laughs> we're we're gonna be doing. Uh, I'm I'm copying from Decibel Geeks Geeks of the Week. I, I went to Chris and and asked him if he would be cool with it. He said he was. So we're gonna go with it. Uh, if you guys retweet about this episode or repost it on Facebook and and you know copy us. In that, what what we're going to do is we're going to have our own version of the Geeks of the Week. Instead of having Geeks of the Week, or instead of, and I joked with Chris and saying, hey, it's going to be Mars Attacks Geeks of the Week brought to you by the Decibel Geek Podcast. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be, and and I fought long and hard to figure out a name for this. You know, a lot of people think that the name Mars Attacks comes from the movie. Uh, it actually comes from me being uh, a comic book geek as a kid and Mars, the god of war, uh, who's also known as Ares. So it, it comes from that. And essentially, since a lot of people think it ties into the planet Mars, well, this is a moment in time when you say, fuck it, go with it. Um, the Mars rover. So when you hear Led Zeppelin's The Rover start up, it's one we're going to start to discuss the the rovers from last week. Those of you that are helping us spread the word of this podcast. So let's see. Maybe we'll fall flat on our face so we get zero people to do it. But hopefully, you know, a few of you guys will will help spread the word with what we're doing here. So uh, there you go. Also, um, oh, advertise. You can advertise on the podcast, Advertise Cast. Uh, you can click on that right at the top of the website also where it says Advertise. So there you go. Help spread the word also. Like I, I just brought up Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we have a Tumblr as well, G+, all that great stuff. We have links to that at the top and the bottom of every page on Mars Attacks. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Google Play. Um, Stitcher as well. So, uh, you know, plenty of places where you can keep up with what we have going on. So I was supposed to interview Life of Agony today. I actually have an interview coming up with Alan Robert, their bass player and one of the principal songwriters of the band. I was supposed to interview him, or no, I interviewed him. That's in the can. I'm going to be releasing that within you know, the next few episodes um, was supposed to interview them in person today, but they canceled their entire Spanish tour. Why? I do not know. 
I asked, and I was just told that it has nothing to do with the band. So uh, we know that the band has been uh, more or less off and on for you know the last ten plus years, and uh, at least it's good to know that uh, that it has nothing to do with them splitting up again. So uh, let's get into a track, and this is my track that's going to go out to Anthony, who when I when I ask him and say, "Hey, you know what? What do you want me to play?" He says, "I'll pick whatever you want. I always enjoy the stuff that you pick anyway." So here you go. This track goes out to him and, and all you listeners. This is one of my favorite tracks to come out this year. Uh, the album is definitely so far my favorite album that I've heard this year. And uh, the name of this track is Right This Wrong.
go. A little Life of Agony with Right This Wrong off of a place where there's no more pain. There will be links to pick that up in the show notes. And I, I do apologize, man. I've been fighting this damn cold that I have for, man, since, since uh, basically February. So that's what happens when your defenses are off. <laughs> you know, everything else affects you. So I... I Editing this interview with Sammy from Red Rain, I could definitely tell I was fighting through that as well while I did that episode. So it it is what it is, as as they say again, as I said before, life gets in the way. But uh, what can you do? Um, moving forward here, I'm gonna play a track. The name of the track is the Hearse. It's from uh, a band from here in Spain called Hell's Fire. I've played them. In the past, uh, you can actually check out their material not only on iTunes and Amazon, but uh, they're also up on Spotify. The name of their latest album, which came out a little while ago, a little earlier this year, is Rest in Riffs. Again, the name of this track is The Hearse by Hell's Fire.
right, so this track came a little bit out of left field. It is from a South Korean band. You, I mean, South Korea, Psy, Gundam style. <laughs> yes, uh, people think of Asian, they think of Loudness and EZO and uh, other bands, Baby Metal, what have you, bands from Taiwan and so on and so forth. You don't really think of South Korea. But the name of this band is Crackshot. And the name of this track is a Breakdown. And man, does it sound like Motley Crue at all? Hmm, you guys be the judge.
Crack shot. Do we smash it or do we trash it? Yeah. <laughs> Remember all that old stuff. Uh, well, what am I talking about? You still have sites that do the whole video or song challenge where they battle one another, and depending on whose fans rise to the occasion or not, they end up in that site's Hall of Fame or, or whatnot for their video battle. So, anyway, I thought the track was cool. Whether you think it's ripping the crew off too much, whether you think it's a tribute or not, again, you guys decide. Uh, anyway, I want to get into the interview portion of the show uh, because we have two really cool interviews. And, and I got to say, um, the first interview with Sammy from Red Rain, I knew nothing about Red Rain initially. The interview came by the way of Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show, where he asked if, you know, we could help help Red Rain out basically because uh they were looking for some promotion and, and whatnot. And I said, sure, why not? Let me, you know, give me the contact information and I'll I'd be more than happy to talk to Sammy. And I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, uh with I mean the material itself, I listened to it again yesterday before actually uh, putting the, the episode together. And it's funny because he mentions how, for example, their guitar's main influence is George Lynch. <laughs> there's a track where, I mean, there's there's Lynch influence dripping all over it, man. I listened to it. I'm like, wow, this this is docking right here, man. Uh, not that that's a bad thing. You know, I, I love all that. Kind of stuff. So, uh, so let's get into a track by Red Rain uh, before we we jump on into the interview with Sammy. You know, we're gonna do the usual. We'll jump into a track before before the interview, and then we'll we'll do another track uh, coming out. At least the sound sample. So, and uh, Sammy discusses during the interview how you can pick the CD up if you're interested. And uh, the the first track that we're going to get into is a track called Toxic by Red Rain. Can't rescue you You know in your hearts Our love will still Can't live without you Can't live with me Can't find a place Where I can breathe Yeah, yeah. 
you worked with David Ivory on the EP. What was it like working with someone that's worked with so many big name acts in the past? Uh, it was a great, great experience. Uh, David, um, David taught us so much uh, about songwriting, and um, and and really learned uh, learned material. So the way it started is we had an EP. We actually had a full length CD here. Uh, it's called Chasing Shadows that we put out back in 2000, uh, towards the end of 2013. And um, after a bunch of time goes by, and we, we, uh, we signed with Chip, uh, of Chipster PR, Chip turns to David. And so what we did was David listened to the full-length uh, CD and picked the five songs that he thought were the better songs to work with. We took five songs off the original CD and we reworked them. Uh, where we put it, t- took some out, took out some parts, mm-hmm. uh, added some parts, added more, you know, um, more melodic uh, tones to the songs, and it made the songs flow better. But David really, sh- the songs were there, but he really shaped them to make them more friendly for uh, for the listening audience. Gotcha. Okay. And were you guys intimidated at all going into the situation thinking, well, he has worked with all these big name people, you know, what are we in for? Um, is he going to want to, you know, put his stamp or, or maybe even retool absolutely everything, maybe steer away from what you guys had originally intended? Well, I'm sorry. That's a, that's a good question. That really is. Uh, no, I mean, it, well, yes, yes. Let me let me go back. Yes, it was intimidating because you know he has a lot of credentials in the music industry. So, um, so it was a little intimidating. However, out of the band, there's four of us total, but the three other guys, and you know, we when we had decided that we were going to move forward with Chip and David, we had decided like, look, if we're going to do this, then we need to open our minds. I am probably the more closed-minded in the band. Um, <laughs> So, so you know, as the drummer, which doesn't, but, um, but, you know, you, you have to you have to be open to ideas if you want to um, further your career and to get a chance to work with somebody like David Ivory, right? And and let him explain the ideas. He is, you know, you're like you you walk in thinking to yourself, oh God, you know, he's going to change this, he's going to change that, and and he's not going to like this, he, you know, but. The good thing about David is we, we got to do a phone conference with him at first, and he was like, hey, guys, the songs are good, but the arrangements are just terrible, so we just need to work on the arrangements. So once, once he said that and at least like what we did, it made it a little easier to go in. But he had, no, he has no ego, no attitude. It was great. It wasn't, it wasn't like, hey, it's my way or the highway. You know, you're, you know, it was like, well, let's try this. Let's try that. And if you don't like this, then we'll try something else. So, no, it was a... Uh, it ended up being what, probably the best experience of my musical career. Awesome. So you mentioned that you had the full length out in 2013. Was there anything that you had set in your mind that you wanted to accomplish with this EP? Um, in my mind, uh, I wanted it. I wanted it to. I, I, the original CD. I mean, obviously, we wrote the stuff, so we thought the songs were good. Right, but but going back and and listening to what David did and listening to the EP as opposed to the full length CD, um, the, the five songs there's major differences. Um, you know, David had kind of 
put it to us, and, and I, I equated this, but we were, we were considered sort of an A-B writing band, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, lead, verse, and then you're out. You know, David added parts, a verse, chorus, uh, maybe a shorter verse, maybe a longer verse, chorus, then a bridge, then, then maybe a breakdown, then a lead, then another I mean, there was, so we, we had two parts to our songs, maybe three parts on the original uh, CD. On the songs, the EP that, re- that we reworked, probably has about four or five parts per song. So, yeah, um, it's a major difference. And, again, you know, I, I use this term, but the songs flow much better after we had uh, put the EP out. It's a big difference. Okay. And as a drummer, was there anything that you had to do different with this album? Was there anything, or this EP, I'm sorry, um, was there any sort of eye-opening experience in the studio with him? Well, <laughs> it's funny you ask that. David, uh, you know, I, I felt like David and I had a really good rapport uh, when we went in. You know, I, as, as the band goes, I... Um, uh, obviously, I'm the drummer, but I also do a lot of the business work, um, and so I'm sort of the point of contact guy. And you know, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm one of these guys that nothing offends me. I like to be a little kind of smart-assy kind of guy. And David's kind of a little bit that way. And we just kind of hit it. I felt like we just kind of hit it off, so we could say to each other uh, what we what we felt. And saying that, um, I am a uh, drummer that likes, like any musician, you'd like to kind of show off a little bit, throw in a couple licks here, do this. And Dave was like, no, no, we're not having that. You know, let's keep it here. So what I think what he did is, and, and when I, you know, I, I, um, when I first started playing drums years ago, I had a drum teacher, but I, I, I left that for other reasons. But one of the teachers said to me, look, when you, when you ever go in the studio and record, keep it simple. Well, I never did that. I, I tried, I made it more, um, more busy. And no, he, and I'm kind of tailing off here, I'm sorry, but he basically dialed me in. He dialed me in and, and kept me on this, um, this good path of there could be simplicity, but it can be good. And uh, that's something that I just never thought of. And I, and I was very pleased with the way that the drums came out. Okay. And you just mentioned that when you started playing, what, what was the catalyst to get you behind the drums, is there one thing or one, you know, song that you listen to or one band or something that you saw on TV that made you want to pick up the sticks and play? Yes, Van Halen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm a I'm a monster Van Halen, David Lee Roth Van Halen fan. Okay. Um, I when I saw you know, I saw pictures of Alex and his drum set. I'm like, now that I need to be behind one of those. And, of course, the first six months I started playing drums, I learned on a phone book. And I'm like, this stinks. This, this sucks. <laughs> this isn't what I signed up for. Right. So, yeah, so it would be, it would be Van Halen. So I, I'm assuming there's no issue with you playing, say, the intro to Hot for Teacher or, or anything like that, some of his more renowned parts? No, it's, it's actually, um, believe it or not, it's a little tougher for me. I, I'm dyslexic. So as I took as I took drum lessons, uh, I, I started drum lessons. Uh, first of all, I started playing drums late. I didn't start playing drums till I was uh, just turned fourteen. Okay. And so I went to a teacher who was just phenomenal here. And uh, I'm in I'm in the states in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. And we had a teacher here. It was a jazz teacher, and he was phenomenal. He actually had been on stage with Buddy Rich a couple times. Huh. Okay. So. 
But the problem is, is being dyslexic and having a hard time when I was trying to learn music and read music, it just went over my head. Right. And I'm sort of stubborn. So I really learned how to play drums by ear. I'm not, I'm not a great rudimental drummer, but, but I, 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 I learn a lot um, by ear. Mm-hmm. I can play some of it, but it's, it doesn't come easy to me. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I... I wish I wish I could. I was a, a drummer growing up as well, and uh, so I understand exactly where you're coming from because I took lessons and all that good stuff, and and did that all throughout high school. And uh, similar to what you're saying, you know, you put something on and you just start to jam along and and play along with it. A lot of times, it just comes easier than sitting there staring at notes and and having a you know a learning disability like that i can't even imagine what it's like to see you know everything backwards when you're when somebody is trying to get you know a lesson across and and the notes mean something completely different you know it's not right that's right you know with the percussion instrument it's not the same as as if you're on a guitar or a saxophone or something like that where the notes are positioned in different spots. Yeah, okay, you can tell where, if you're playing along with the full kit, where the hi-hat is uh, as opposed to the toms or the, the snare or whatever. But the patterns that you're that you're trying to play, I mean, if you're seeing them backwards, it's something completely different to what what you're trying to, to do. So I can understand completely what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it's... The thing for me is it, I didn't really read the notes backwards as much as comprehension of the note. Right. You know, so like, like even though even though the way I saw was um, a bass a bass drum note looked the same to me as a snare note, and gotcha. it looked the same to me as a tom note. You know, and and so I couldn't differentiate the notes. It right. made it hard for me. So you know how it is when you're younger and you're like, you know, the hell with this, man. I'll just go home and jam and. Um, you know, I wish I wish I was more. I wish I was. You know, as the years have gone by, I I learned the basic rudiments and I I can I implement them into the songs. I can do that, but I'm not. Um, you know, look, I'm 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 I consider myself a rock drummer. I don't consider myself a percussionist. I don't consider myself uh, a Neil Peart type drummer. Right. But I I can play rock and roll, and that's what I do. You know, and and so that when I had to learn covers in the years I learned them. I mean, I, I learned them. I, I did what I could to learn them note for note. So to hide the fact that, um, you know, that I, that I had that problem, but I mean, I, I could never play rush or more, the more intricate Van Halen tunes. Gotcha. Okay. And that was actually one of my next questions was how did, you know, playing in a cover band actually help not only put the band together, but also help you as a player get better. Well, I tell you, this is a really funny story. I, I, I played in cover bands years here, and I, I, I've been fortunate to play with a lot of good musicians in our area, uh, dating, dating back to high school. Um, so I, I, I've been real lucky. But what changed it for me, this is, this is uh, I've never really told this story before, but what really changed it for me is I was pl- we were playing in a cover band. We were playing in a bar, and there was probably about 200 people there that night. Now I'm going back, and now I'm going back to like 1988. And so we were playing Flying High again. I remember this as yesterday. We were playing Flying High again. And, um, you know, we, 
we that band at the time this this is none of the guys that are in this band but the band at the time I had played with that guitar player for like ten years and and the bass player for ten years but that band at the time was you know we're we're going to learn the song as the best you know you you know you, you play drums you know you don't always play cover tunes note for note you know right. you add a little flair here you know, but flying high um, you know not I, I play that song basically note for note but there's a there's a I, I couldn't remember the exact part in the song but. There was a couple times I kind of winged off and did something a little different, you know, kind of gave it your own flair, your own taste. And right. we got off the stage, and it was our last set, and people really dug the set we did. You know, we did all the classics in the 80s. And I had this couple come over and tell me, go, hey, man, you're a really good drummer. And I was like, hey, I appreciate it. But, you know, in Flying High Again, you miss this and you miss that. And I'm like, okay, you know, and, and, and you know. You, you know, it's really important to the song. They started just kind of giving me this dissertation. And, I, you know, of course, I, I'm not a confrontational person. I was like, hey, look, I really appreciate your input. That's great. And then I thought to myself, the hell am I doing with my life? You know, I mean, playing <laughs> covers and have people who've been drinking all night telling me I'm, I'm a good drummer but not good enough to play this. So that's really what turned it for me to say, you know what, I'm going to start writing my own stuff, and I'll live and die by the sword. I, I was okay with that. And that's how I started to being in band, to getting into bands that said, okay, I'll do covers, but we're going to do originals. Gotcha. And then it went on less covers, more originals. Okay. And f- funny thing is, when you mentioned Van Halen, Van Halen and other bands like Pantera, for example, and I mean, there's there's a ton of others out there, have always professed learning covers first, taking the best out of who you're covering, and then making it your own. So it's interesting right. that you pinpoint Alex Van Halen as like the starting point. And maybe directly or indirectly, you sort of took a a similar path with the covers, and then going on to doing your own thing. Yeah, I'd say a little bit. I'd say a little bit. You know, that's that's the beauty. Uh, it, to kind of circle around and miss some years, but that's the beauty of this of this band, um, uh, especially of the EP. And if you've heard it, and that, you know, um, I we all take our influence and we try to put it into this music. So. You know, you might, you know, it's a big drum sound, you know, and I, I do play a lot of double bass. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a Van Halen feel coming from me, where um, my guitar player, the lead guitar player, you know, he brings his style in, a little more docking style to his guitar playing. Our singer likes a bunch of different bands, and he plays guitar as well, and so he brings his brand. And that's the beauty of it. You're right. You know, we, we, we all started as musicians when we were younger, and we've all played the cover tunes that everybody's played. And so then you, you start writing your original, but then you say, oh, you know what, this is a great lick to put here. Boom. And you, oh, wait a minute, Alex did that on Diver Down, or George Lynch did that, you know, on, on the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, that's what we did. We, we, we wrote songs that we thought were good, but we also brought our influences to it. And I think that's part of it. I think, you know, when you play covers, like you said, and you kind of make them your own, then, then you can, and if you have the writing ability, which I don't, I don't write any of the music. That is way over my head. I let those guys do it, and I take care of the business. But you know, I'll come in and add my own flair on drums about what I'm going to do. You know, what I my parts are going to be. But yeah, I I think that's right. I think you you learn your covers, and then you try to come up with your own style, make your own flair too, and then all of a sudden you've got yourself an original song. You mentioned that. You'd played in a bunch of different cover bands, but obviously you, with one of the last bands you were in, you had met up with your lead singer. Correct. Carlton. My question is, what made you decide to work with him as opposed to any of the other people you'd previously worked with? So, back in 
2001, uh, a buddy of mine who I've known for years was he was a bass player. Uh, actually, I can't remember the name of the band, but they, he was in a punk band uh, for years. And he, I think he did quite a bit of touring, but he came back to Richmond, and um, and so we got into a band and we 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 got this kind of hard rock band together. And Bubba, which is Carlton, Bubba's his nickname, but Bubba. Um, was the last piece, and he came in and, and he was a singer, and he came in and sang, and that band was called Seth, and we did some pretty good things here. We got to open for a couple big acts. We got to open for Cheap Trick one time, and we got to open for the more original Quiet Riot, which we saw in the '80s. Not obviously not Randy Rhodes, but right. Carlos Cavazzo and you know Rudy and Kevin DeBrow. But we did some really good things. But we were a 99 percent all original band. We you know we would do our, we would do all original set. And then at the end, we would play two or three covers. So that was going pretty well. And then, you know, you're a drummer and you've been in bands and you know, you know, out, you know, things just don't go well. So right. we were in the process of writing material when that band dissolved. So everybody went their own way. And I'd stayed in touch with Bubba and a couple of other guys. And then Bubba called me and said, hey, I put together a cover band. You want to be a part of it? And I'm like, all right. Well, I really didn't want to. I, I, at this point, I just didn't want to play in cover bands. So we just kind of left it alone and didn't talk for a couple months. But a couple, of the material, a couple of the songs that we were starting to write were stuck in my head. And I called Bubba up one day and said, look, we, we, I can't get the song out of my head, the one we wrote. And, and believe it or not, we, we called it the Motley Crue song because it was just that kind of lick, you know, the kind of riff to it. So I said, I just can't get that Motley Crue song out of our head. And so we got back together, and that's really how we started Red Rain. We got to and we started kind of riffing on that, and that's when we brought in Larry, our bass player, Larry Moore. And we were a three-piece for a while um, until we met Stevie, and then we brought him in. And that's really how it came together. We really took that one riff, that one song, and once we got to that one song, um, then the other songs came. And that one song, uh, and I get this confused, but that riff ended up either being Not That Way or ended up being the title track, Red Rain. Okay. Interesting. I don't know which song it is. You'd have, you'd have to ask Bubba that one. I I, he, he, I always thought it was not that way, but he told me it was Red Rain, but I still think it's not that way. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> funny how you know things come together like that, just from the simplicity of getting a, a riff stuck in your head that you know it just brings people together, and you end up forming a band out of it. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. It's it's, it's I, I knew the, the the premise of Red Rain, which of course we didn't know what the name of the, the band was going to be at the time. But I just told we Bubba 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 uh, was a league guitar player by 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 nature. You know that's that's by, that was his trade. Uh, he's been in the music scene here in the '80s, and so we we crossed paths. I mean, I knew him; he knew me. We just never really got to know each other. But so when we did this, when we when he came into the band Seth at the time. Uh, that we were in, he came in strictly as a singer. And by trade, again, he's a guitar player, and so he he enjoyed being kind of the singer, and then he wanted to play guitar again. But going to the Red Rain thing, is the way this whole thing started was when I called him and said, look, let's do this. You and I will do it. I'll do the drums, you can sing, you, you, know, you do the background vocals anyway, and you can play guitar and bass. And that way it's just two of us. You know, and we'll put it out there, and if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. And so he thought about it for a while, and he's like, all right. So we, that was sort of the premise. We, were, we really didn't think we were going to go anywhere with it. But when the song started coming out, and then, you know, we, was, we said, hey, let's bring a bass player in the scene. That's where Larry came in. Then it really started to gel. And then we thought, okay, we're going to make a band out of this, and we're going to do something with it. 
And that's really how it started. Yeah, it just gelled over that one tune and, and, and grew into where we are now. Cool. Um, you mentioned Alex Van Halen and seeing his kit and seeing all that was sort of like the spark to get you going. Can you mm-hmm. describe the kit that you play with Red Rain? My kit is much smaller than an Alex Van Halen kit. I <laughs> use two 22-inch bass drums. Okay. Um, I use. Uh, I just bought a new snare. It's a little deeper, but I usually use a um, uh, a six-inch snare. You know, I I use a eight, ten, twelve toms, and uh, a sixteen and eighteen floor tom. Oh, okay. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, and I'm, I'm and I'm actually going to probably shave it down a little bit. I think I'm going to go to uh, probably the 8 and 10 mounted toms and, um, and then keep the two floor toms. I think I'm going to get rid of the little, the little tom. I, I don't really have a use for it. It's more for show. When it comes down to uh, having the setup, sometimes you, you just figure, all right, well, what's, <laughs> what makes more sense, me spending more time setting up or me having something for show? <laughs> right, right. Well, what I was going to say is the problem for me is if you put a drum in front of me, I'm going to find a way to hit it. Oh. And it may not even be in the song. It may not even fit the song, but I feel like if you're going to put something in front of me, it's I got to use it. You know, a couple times I've gone out, people just look at me all funny double bass kit as a more of a, you know, we're not we're not a national act yet or anything. And um I I have a hard time playing double pedal. It it doesn't feel right to me. It's not the, I feel it's, naked without two bass drums. Yeah, it's it's definitely not the the same feel for for someone like myself who was always used to one and getting the double bass pedal and actually getting to play on a on a set that has two bass drums. It's so much easier to play with the two bass drums. Just the, the as you're saying, the feel is completely different. It's it's similar yeah. in in my opinion. It's similar to playing on a an acoustic setup as opposed to say using uh, an electronic setup even if it's just a practice it just isn't the same thing no matter how good the samples or the sounds have evolved over the years it just isn't that same feel right you're absolutely right yeah and it's for me it's it's um it's it's a different and maybe and maybe some drummers do it it's a different positioning for me when i sit on the throne Right. You know, on the, on the drummer's throne, it's a different position. My my legs are are wider, and it and it's uncomfortable for me. It's uh-huh. just uncomfortable for me. Um, and you know, and and I, I can't help it. You know, you know, and I, we played a show recently, and you know, the sound guys were kind of feeding me, you know, kind of, you know, kind of feeding me garbage about it. And I'm like, look, dude, I play what I play. I, I can't help it. You know, you need to play double pedal. And I'm like, okay, well then, why don't you why don't you mic this? Why don't you mic the stage with two mics then? You know, I mean, it's like if you're going to handicap, handicap. But uh, yeah, but I love double bass drums. A A in the kind of music we play, which is melodic rock, sort of hard rock. I think it's I think it looks good. I think it's got a right. good look to it. And, and number one for any double bass drummer, um, and 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 for me, it's 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 a bit of comfortability too. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. The 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 good old sound guy telling you. Uh how you should set up or how you should sound or how this or that. Or... Right. <laughs> and again, you know, he was kind of feeding me, you know, feeding me, you know, and I, I just, you know, I, I don't get offended, you know. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a smart-assy kind of guy. I can be. I mean, I'm not all the time. And, and so I, I like to have fun, and it just doesn't offend me. And so the great news was, like, after I played, the guy came up and goes, um, he goes, hey, man, you really, you really play the hell of those 
double bass drums. Now I see why, and I'm like, oh, okay, I appreciate it, you know, but I'm not going to change the way I play because you, you, you don't want to pull out the extra mic to mic it. Yeah, give me a break. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So. Yeah, it is ridiculous, but uh, but it was but anyway. So yeah, um, so no, I don't, I don't. To go back to the original question, I don't have the monster Van Halen kit, <laughs> but I would love one time behind it, one time. <laughs> and that would definitely be that. That's the uh, kid in the candy store type dream, right? Oh my gosh, definitely. And I, I'm not even sure which kid I would like. I mean, the one that I fell in love with, the one that I really fell in love with, was the. Um, Fair Warning Tour, the black and white stripe one, if you know that one. Yeah. Where he, yeah, I mean, that one's just awesome. But the one he just played on, the, the Ludwig uh, series he just played on in the last tour is even more beautiful. I'd play on, uh, you know, nice. Beggars can't be choosers, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't play on, I don't, I, I, listen, I'm, I, I play on a PDP kit. So um, if you're. If people want to keep up with Red Rain and find out what you guys are up to, where should they go? Sure. So it's uh, the website is redrainband.com, and that's R-E-D-R-E-I-G-N band.com. We're also on Facebook under Red Rain Band, or again, R-E-I-G-N. We are on Twitter, at Red Rain Band. So uh, those are the three places that you can contact us. Uh, the music is on iTunes and Spotify and um, Google and Amazon so almost all your downloadable music sites have the new EP on it I think some of them still have the Chasing Shadows CD on there but uh, I recommend everybody buying the new EP that's the one that uh, the one we worked with David Irie and really really proud of okay and, and we just want we just want to get the music out we just want people to hear it Okay, and if somebody wants to purchase the actual CD, they can pick it up from Amazon or, or someplace similar? Uh, I don't know if the actual CD's on there, but uh, I'll tell you, I have no problem giving out my email address, so somebody can contact me uh, directly, Okay. Uh, which is redraininfo at gmail.com, and again, that's R-E-D-R-E-I-G-N-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. And for anybody who's listening, if you like the CD, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. And if you don't like the EP, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I have no problem um, discussing it with anybody. I, I, I love to get feedback from people. So feel free to email me and let me know your thoughts. Hey, this is Sammy Lee, drummer of Red Rain, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
bit of change coming off of the Red Rain EP called Red Rain. Thank you, Sammy, for coming on the show and discussing that with us. Uh, thank you, Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show for hooking me up with Sammy as well. Up next, we have John Bush, obviously the lead singer of Armored Saint. And uh, this interview is basically focused on their live album that came out a little while back, Carpe Noctum. So we're going to turn this around pretty, pretty quickly here. We're just going to jump right into a sound sample of a track off of this great album. Uh, it's it's pretty cool because I have, you know, obviously music that they've released from throughout the years and a nod to the old school has them doing a, a few tracks here and there live. And just to get a, you know, a nine song album of them performing a, a lot of the tracks live, a, a lot of staples and whatnot, and some lesser known songs if you're not a, a diehard, obviously. Um, it's it's cool to be able to to hear this stuff. So um, yeah, check it out. Uh, we're gonna get into a little bit of uh, Last Train Home before jumping on into the interview with John Bush. <laughs> initially crowdfunded uh, Carpe Noctum and a lot of bands that I've interviewed in the past have crowdfunded live albums either because they wanted to sort of see if their fans wanted the album 
uh, or it was out of necessity because the their label wasn't willing to uh, put a live album out for them. Um, does this album fall in either one of those categories, and why did you guys choose to go with crowdfunding initially? Well, really, the crowdfunding, the whole pledge campaign was primarily to um, to promote us being able to make a little money and to be able to properly do the tour that we did. That was the primary reason. Okay, um, we got the offer for Queensrÿche uh, for November and December, long t- several you know like long five six months before it came out the, the, the tour, and. Um, and when we, you know, we saw what we got offered financially, and and you know, it was a, it was a nice enough offer. It was what they were willing and pretty much felt like they could give. But um, for us, we just were like, well, if we do it this way, and we only get this, then we're probably going to be driving in a van with like one crew person, and and we're all going to make no money because you know, touring costs money. It just yeah. does. And so to to do it properly, so we could be in a bus and have a crew and. Um, to, for all of us to like be able to leave home and at least come home with some money, mm-hmm. you know, like you would on any normal job, we needed help. And normally in the past, when you you know you got help, you got it from your record company and you got you know, tour support. Um, and now this whole uh, crowdfunding or pledge camp music campaign or however you want to look at it, because um, there's lots of different sources, and I don't really even know that much about it, honestly, but. Um, that's um, a way for people to um, make ends meet, so to speak, mm-hmm. and so that's what you did. And um, you know, at first I was, I was, I have a me and my wife discussed that, you know, away from the band, which is in detail about how I, I actually have a lot of mixed emotions about it because I don't really want to feel. I don't know if I said this before, before I, I'm sorry for being redundant, but. Um, I, I don't want everything to feel in life like it's purchasable. I don't want to ever feel like everything is, you know, for a price because I just, I, it kind of gets gross, you know, and it kind of gets yeah. to a point where, you know, like, ah, you know, and it also kind of weeds out the people maybe who don't have money. And I don't, doesn't mean just because you have less money than somebody else, you don't love music and you're not mm-hmm. passionate about some. So um, I don't want that. So, um, I did have a mix of emotions, but at the same time, we're like, well, it's, we do this or we don't do it at all. So, um, so that's what we did. And in the end, the people from pledge were awesome. They were great. They were totally organized and, um, had great ideas, worked with us and I, some of the ideas we had, and they helped generate a lot of money for it. And I have nothing but the utmost uh, respect and appreciation for what they did. And in the end, I think what we did is we did it in a way where where we we made it stuff available for fans that was was really you know there was some higher end stuff that, that you know people felt like hey that's really cool and I would like that or just something as simple as like a new shirt only associated with the you know with the tour and the record right and um, or you know the or the advanced copy of, of the of the record so. Um, so anyway, the record ended up coming out uh, after the fact, and that, and that certainly was a part of it, because really the record was going to be a portion of something that people were going to get who were part of the Pledge Music campaign. And then eventually we said, well, let's just make it available for everybody. It's a great record, and we think it sounds awesome, and why are we only going to limit it to those people, even though we want something special for them? Um, so, But we said, let's just, in you know a little later time, we'll release it for everybody. So... 
Um, and then again, as I said this maybe before, but that's one of the reasons that that it does. It's not that long of a record because originally it was never meant to really be that. It was meant to be only for these people who are part of this campaign. Um, so, um, I, you know, I, I think in the end I'm happy with it. And like I said, we we were able to do it a tour correctly and travel right and play all these shows and and do the tour with Queensrÿche, which was a great fun tour. And those guys are awesome and. Um, we were able to like play in front of a lot of people who probably had never seen us or hadn't seen us in years, and and this is in America, you know. So um, it was awesome. You know, everything everything about it ended up being great. Very cool. And during the album, I hear you mention Vakin on a few occasions. Was everything recorded at at Vakin, or was it are certain songs brought in from other shows? No, it was two shows. One was Vakin, and then the other one was a club show, a headline show that we did in the city of Schaffenburg, which is in Germany, uh, you know, maybe 50 minutes out of Frankfurt. It's basically like Frankfurt, like a suburb of Frankfurt. So, uh, and that was really cool as well. That was a fun show. Um, and, and it was those two shows put together. And, and you know, Vakin was one where it was, uh, you know, we played maybe – nine songs uh in in Vakin and that was about it um so <laughs> it was it was cool to do that and um um you know we, we had a couple choices there because we had the headline show and but Vakin was only like about nine songs I think at the most maybe even eight so um you know as I said before we we wanted to we don't. We wanted it to sound raw and real. We did fix a couple things. I'm not going to lie, but it's very few. And um, and we did want it to be something that, you know, was something we were proud of. And we, you know, we. I mean, look, I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again in regards to Armored Saint. Um, you know, we're not a flawless band. We, you know, we we're a band that you get what you see, and you know, it's pretty sincere what comes out the stage. And and sometimes there's mistakes. You know, I'm I'll be the first one in line. You know, it's, I'll hear things and go, wow, you're pretty out of tune there. But I think what you get is you get a lot of um, honesty that comes off, um, and a lot of you know grit and emotion from this band. And um, and I don't care about perfection, really. I don't. Um, I just don't want something to be on there that where I have to live with for my the rest of my life going, oh, I can't wait for this song, part the song and the song to go by because it's, it, ah, it's awful. You know, so you know, maybe there was a couple of fixes that were just unbearable to, you know, have to listen to and, and for the rest of our lives. But overall, everything was, was live and real. And um, the production of it is actually excellent. So Awesome. And Avakin records everything all their video content as well. Is there any chance of there being video of this available in the future? Well, we, we've released a couple songs. Every song that we kind of technically release is like kind of like a single, which, you know, there's not a single, but, right. um, you know, we, we had Aftermath and that was from a Schaffenberg. And then, um, last train home was from Locken, And, um, and then, um, uh, March of the Saint just recently came out, and that was from uh, Schaffenberg as well. So, yes, the Wagen show, it's all recorded, and obviously we had to get a, approval of that to use it and, and the, the video and the audio. Um, but, you know, me and Joey are toiling with um, doing, like, a live proper DVD where we kind of film it ourselves and have, you know, four camera angles or whatever, you know, and, and do a proper DVD because it's something that we've also never really done is had, like, a high quality 
pro live DVD. And, uh, you know, we talked about doing it in L.A. because that's where we're from and that's our right. home. And it seems like it would be cool to honor our all the people stood by us for the through the years in, in our hometown. So um, uh, that's something we're kind of mulling over. And that, I think that's kind of like one of the final pieces of the puzzle of the Arvid Saint, you know, thing. Not that, that you know, we need to end it after that, but just – um, right. You know, we never have done something like that. So I think that's kind of the next the next idea. Gotcha. OK. And you mentioned with the Vakken show, you only did eight or nine tracks. Uh, how difficult is it to switch between doing festival dates like that, uh, playing with Queensryche or, or playing with any band to sort of rotate your your set list to fit within a given uh, allotted time where you guys play? That part's not that hard. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm really adamant, and I've been pushing, and we did it an incredibly well on the Queensryche tour, where we changed our set almost nightly. Um, you know, we kept the, the body of it fairly the same. Like, you know, first couple of songs were the same, and then the last couple were the same. But we changed the middle almost on a nightly basis, and I really pushed the band to do that because I just think – I want to play different songs and I think right. I hate the same set every night when bands do that. I just, it really irks me. So I don't want to do that. And, um, you know, some kind of, a couple of guys in the band kind of begrudgingly go along, but, um, you know, they do. And, um, you know, Gonzo in particular, somebody, just, I think he just wants to like be co- consistent and I get it. And I, and I, and, and, you know, I applaud that, but I'm like, dude, let's just, we'll change this song. He's like, we just, we just got the groove. I go, yeah, let's mess it up and change this now. So, but I just think it kind of brings out something that's spontaneous. And I think that's sometimes once again, lacking, I think in, in music and, you know, everything is kind of a little too meticulous and, you know, I don't want to do that. We're a rock band, you know, we have a lot of records and a bunch of songs and we want to play a bunch of different songs. So I think that's not an issue. You know, we're able to condense off easily and, you know, it's easier to kind of take songs out of the set than it is necessarily to add stuff. I think what the biggest problem I have personally as a singer, um, when you're playing like festivals and then headline shows is that when, you know, one night, you know, a couple of days you'll be playing a show at night, 10 o'clock, like at a club show. And then next day you're playing at noon. And, or, you know, and that to me as a singer is really difficult. So, um, you know, cause you're, you're probably sleep is affected and, um, you're just, um, you know, you're all of a sudden you're playing, uh, maybe, less than 24 hours than you did the day before. And, um, you know, it's outside. So everything sounds a little different. I don't know. That's to me is my little complaining, uh, uh, perspective on it. But, um, as far as changing the set and doing all that, it, that's not an issue. I actually, I've been enjoying really messing around with the set a little bit. So. Okay. And you just mentioned a second ago, how you guys have, you know, obviously put out so much material over the years and, you want to rotate things. Has there ever been an instance where as you're recording a track in the studio, you're like, I can't wait to play this track live. And then the track just doesn't get over with, with the crowd. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. Um, you know, sometimes you, you get this feeling that it's going to be a, a sure shot and then, you know, it goes, it's dead. And so, um, you know, then you go, oh man, let's try it again one more time and then see if that happens. And then, <laughs> then it does. And you're like, ah, oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I, I, to me, I, I just, there, and there's songs that we probably have never played live and a few that, you know, I feel like I would never want to. And, um, 
So, and then there, we did a show, I remember in Holland not too long ago, where, like, I, I honestly think, like, Envy from the first album is, like, maybe one of our worst songs ever, mm-hmm. and that's just me speaking, and I remember we played in Holland, uh, I think last year when we were doing, I think it might have been that same run when we played Schaffenberg and Bakken, and some guy yelled out, Envy, and I was like, Envy? Come on! <laughs> I mean... It was a it was a fun banter back and forth, but you know it made me laugh. Going well, everybody likes something, you know. So, yeah. um, and I mean, I'm glad they like. I'm glad they do, of course. But um, yeah, you know, it's I, I we I, it's fun to try different things and see what works. And uh, you know what certain staples that you have to play kind of are you know mandatory. And although it's funny, I did talk to some fan who was actually associated with the pledge campaign where I end up having like maybe 10 conversations with different people. That was part of something that people can purchase. They basically just talk to John Bush on the phone for, you know, half an hour, which was great. It was really fun. And, um, one girl told me, well, you don't really have to play. Can you deliver? And I go, really? Do we not? Can we, <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, great. You know? And it was, it was funny. And I go, cause you, you're giving me the green light. So, but I, I mean, I really wouldn't mind, you know, taking a couple songs out and then, because then you could bring them back, and then would feel fresh again. Um, right. I don't know. I guess you know we could do whatever we want, and um, you know I do think that there's certain songs that you kind of have to play. But you know maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing to take you know a couple, uh, or not maybe not a couple songs uh, that are like kind of mandatory, but maybe one you know and, and take it, give it a break for a run or something. I, I would be down. So. Yeah, it's interesting. You always have the, as you've alluded to, artists that have played the same set list since 82. <laughs> and then you have, um, you know, I saw uh, Machine Head go on a few years ago uh, to close out a Sonosphere, and they didn't play their biggest track for a lot of people, which is Davidian. And people were booing at the end of the set list be- and, you know, sort of calling the song out in masses. So it's one of those fine lines where do you always have to play you know that one signature track or one of your signature tracks or as you're saying can you rotate that and and get by without getting a you know certain part of the fan base annoyed well i mean look if you're a big fan of a band and you love that band then you certainly love more than just one song yeah no so, so I would think that you'd be, you wouldn't be disappointed if they didn't play the one song. You know why? Um, I think it would be more of a disappointment if maybe they played, you know, if there was just a huge disparity of, of popular songs to, you know, deep tracks or all new music or things like that. And, you know, I get it. You know, the, obviously, when you're a band, especially you've been around for years and years, you can't just go out and play only new material because then your people are like well, what is this you know but yeah. at the same time if you have a couple new records that people dig and you like you shouldn't you shouldn't uh, omit those songs either so it's just a fine line um you know what i think works is at least for armored saint is to play you know a new song and then play something old and then you know go back and forth so at least that's to me is our tactic but um yeah, I don't. I mean, look, if you're a big fan of a band and you, you like I said, you like a lot of their material, so what if they don't play one song? You know, whatever. I, I, I don't, I don't care. You know, I honestly don't. So, gotcha. Okay. And you mentioned that the next logical step would be to work on 
a DVD. Um, one of the things for me that I uh, thought that made Win Hands Down so successful of an album or so strong of an album is it seemed like you guys had zero pressure behind you to work on the material. At one point, or at what point, excuse me, um, do you and Joey sit down and start putting ideas together? Is there any inkling at all, or is that something that you guys are just going to let go until all of a sudden, you know, you come together and realize, hey, you know, we we should, or, you know, I have ideas, maybe we should get together and work on this. Well, um, I did ask him the other day and, and uh, if he had anything, and he said he did, but he said, I'm not ready to do that yet. And I said, no problem. I'm not either, honestly. <laughs> so um, I, I, I think that um, I love the no pressure mentality because I think that it creates a better record and better material. Right. Um, I think that for us, the only factor truly is is time is, is not on our side. You know, we're a bunch of guys in our mid-50s. Um, mm-hmm. not that I feel like, I mean, I feel like Armour Sane is as young and spry as ever, truthfully. Um, and even though I feel right now, I'm just kind of nursing a, a bad ankle that I rolled playing basketball, which is really making me depressed cause I, it's affecting me to do a bunch of stuff. Right. Um, I'm a pretty active guy. I really am. And so, you know, I don't really, I feel pretty great about my, myself at this point in my life you know, feeling old or anything like that. But I, but I'm a realist at the same time. And I, and I know what our age is. So uh, I think that kind of is the only thing that was weighing against us a little bit. If we were all guys in our thirties or even early forties, then it would be kind of a non-factor. Although who knows when I was in my forties, I thought, well, fifties, dude, that's like, you're better. You might as well start digging the grave. Right. Um, but, you know, God, I feel pretty good, you know, and I know a lot of my peers are my age and they're still going out and touring and rocking, kicking ass. I mean, you know, my one of my good friends who's our booking agent has just booked the UFO Saxon tour in America and selling well. And I mean, Biff, you know, this has probably got me by like, you know, at least eight to 10 years and he's still amazing every night. So, um, you know, so who's to say, you know, but um I mean, I, you know, I guess I'm just being honest with my own self. So, um, you know, whatever. I just think that's the only, the only thing that we kind of, like I said, uh, it creates a slight urgency, but I don't want to do something where we kind of, you know, where we go and, and, and really try to force ourselves to write a record. And then it, we end up doing something that, um, is just lacking in quality. So, um, well, you know, I think it'll happen when it does. Um, I've said this before. Uh, I think that we're a band, and we're not some big giant band, and everything's based on some big tour and a new record and what all that. We can do whatever we kind of want to do. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, having a new record um, helps. You know, helps profile a little bit and kind of generates new amount of press and things like that. I get it, of course. Um, but you know, at the same time, we're some heritage band that's been around for a long time. So I don't think to if we wanted to go out and play some dates. I don't think it would be a, a mandatory or uh, you know, we'd have to go out and make a new record to do that. So um, as long as maybe the record company is behind us and they help kind of promote things and um, and we're able to generate maybe some some publicity um, and do the right tour and play the right venues and things like that. And then, um, I don't you know, I think we could do whatever we want. It doesn't we can we could do it at whenever we want and we don't necessarily need to make uh, a new record. But I love making new music. Um, and I mean, win is something that I'm, I, you know, arguably I think is our best record. So, um, which says a lot. So I, I, I think that I love 
making new material and writing it. I just do. I like the idea of being something where, um, you know, we're forced to do it or we feel compelled to do it because of um, any kind of outside reasons, because I think that would end up hurting us. Cool. Yeah, I think you can definitely tell, especially with um, uh, bands that have been around for quite a while, whether they've, you know, whether they've forced themselves to write something because a big paycheck has come along or whether they take, you know, the time to, to put something out and make sure that it falls in well with the rest of their catalog. It, when it isn't as forced, I think it definitely goes over better. And and like I just said, it fits in with their legacy or whatever they have before. And fans actually appreciate it more, I think, than just, oh, well, this is a this is a paint by numbers like B version of Can You Deliver or Reign of Fire, you know? Yeah, and I, I look. I mean, it, I, I don't want to repeat ourselves. You know, I mean, I've said this a million times. Maybe even sometimes it's it, it might you know annoy people, but I'm just being honest. And that is that I don't want to um, kind of rehash what I did already. And and sometimes I think you know in the world of metal, it kind of happens like that. People get a little bit like safe. Um, and it's like, how you can't be safe with metal. Yeah. It's like the most uh, counterculture scene in, in, in music. You know, why do you, then, then you're going to make it safe. You're going to kind of go back and go, well, this is what they expect. So let's give them it. Uh, you know, at the same time, you know, you can't like I'm, I always make the joke that we're not going to make the, you know, the Armored Saint trip hop coffee house record because, <laughs> you know. People would be pissed, and why would we do that? It'd be stupid. So it would always, it always is going to be, you know, um, kind of uh, part of of the hard rock, heavy metal world because that's what we do. But it, but we should push ourselves as musicians and writers, and and not just kind of rest our laurels on, you know, look back and go, well, that kind of worked. Let's do that, and uh, you know, or say, well, we can get by with, you know writing a couple great songs and then having some filler. Eh, no, nah, man, you know, I, I don't, that's when it's all said and done, the record is this thing that's, that's going to be on, that's going to go on way past me. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to be dead literally. And the music will still live on. So you want, you want it to be something where, you know, it, it can live on on its own two legs and, and all, all the records, you know, look, let's face it. I, I also say that in my opinion, you know, you're, you're lucky if you hit the bullseye once. Mm-hmm. And if you're like some incredible band, you might hit it a couple of times. You know, then if you're like Zeppelin, you hit it every time. But well, not every time because Coda was kind of weak. And I, I never I never really was the biggest fan of In Through the Outdoor. But other than that, they pretty much hit it on the, the bullseye every time. But but it's, you know, it's few and far between who are able to do that. And um, so, uh, you know, uh, you need to. You know, it's you you strive to make the best thing you can. And I know every band does that. Obviously, I don't think people uh, overall are going, let's just go make a crappy record. We don't care. We're just going to put it out. And who cares? I think everybody strives to make something that they think is incredible. But I think that how much you're willing to push yourself as an artist and challenge yourself as a musician and a writer and do something where even the fans are challenged to listen to it and go, well, um, hmm. You know, do I like this? I don't know. Let me let me listen more. And I'm not talking about in, in making it more commercially viable, you know, because that's that's not what I'm talking about, because that usually ends up falling on its face anyway. If you try to do that, I'm just talking about 
pushing yourself, doing something that is is stretching your ideas and your creativity, you know, and that's the most important thing to me. Um, and that's what I want to do. Cause otherwise I, I just won't be happy. I won't be happy if we write some kind of two bit version of March of the Saint, you know, uh, with a, you know, maybe a pseudo cool riff and you know, a fast beat or something. And, you know, big chorus and go, that's the, you know, those are the kind of the ground, that's the groundwork of, of, a, of a great armor saying anthem, let's go, you know, nah, nah, uh-uh. you know, it's, uh, that, that's not enough for me. And last question here, uh, you narrated a, a documentary that um, a mutual friend put together, Mr. Bob Nalbandian, and um, my question to you is this, while working on the project, on the inside uh, metal series, was there any point in time when you were in the studio recording uh, your narration that memories sort of started flooding back to you about different events that had taken place or different uh, maybe moments back then in time that you had forgotten about? Um, well, number one is I recorded it in the closet of my son's bedroom because I do some voiceover auditions in there. And I just do it all on GarageBand on the computer. Right. And that's the deadest room in the house. And so it's like it's, it's probably the smallest room in the house, too. So I'm totally confined in this closet with all this clothes <laughs> and crap. And then I'm sitting there recording it. So it's pretty funny. It's about polar opposite of what you would think a studio would be. Uh, so that's funny. But the other thing is, um, luckily for me, I, you know, Alzheimer's hasn't kicked in yet. Hopefully never. Um, although sometimes I wonder. Um, but, you know, I have really good memories of the past and shows and things like that. Um, I can't tell you what I did a couple hours ago, but I am good about remembering long term stuff. And, yeah, I think that talking about a lot of that stuff, um, you know, made me reflect. And, um, you know, I, Armored Saints, the club days, and, you know, th those are some fun times, you know, because we were just – we were really rebellious and, um, you know, naive and um, had a lot of bravado. And so we would, you know – and we were doing it all ourselves, and we were seeing it come just elevate you know, we went from being just some tiny local band out of East L.A. and playing some shows in Pasadena where we kind of uh, took on as our hometown to like arguably being the biggest band in L.A. at one point and, and like, you know, 83, 84. And um, and we loved it. And, and it was just our little thing. And uh, I would say that probably one of the, the one of the downfalls of Armored Saint might have been the day that we actually like lost control completely and got a, you know, manager and a record company and all that stuff. Uh, not, not metal blade because Brian was always with us, but I don't know. And, you know, we had Q prime as man, our first manager and they, you know, they're the Kings. So we can't, I'm just kind of like jokingly say that sometimes when, like when we were just kind of steamrolling as a band ourselves, just going with it and, you know, not knowing exactly what we were doing, it seemed like sometimes that was when we were at our best. And it was probably just because it was just so raw and gritty and um, and we just had a lot of attitude. But, um, yeah, it was some fun times. Yeah, that's why I want to do – I would like to do a uh, – uh, you know, I'm saying this. This is not a fact, um, but I, I would like to do a um, – a live DVD at the Troubadour because I always love that club and it's one of my favorite places. And um, the only thing is that it's just, they don't have too many metal shows there anymore. Most of the bands that play there are kind of like alternative bands. And, um, and, um, 
you know, so like more, more of the metal shows are like the whiskey in L.A. here and stuff. But I do love the Troubadour. We just had so many memories there. Um, so that's kind of where I like to do it. So yeah, we'll see. live off of Carpe Noctum. Pick up Carpe Noctum, you filthy animal. Pick it up uh, using our sh- Amazon show notes there. God damn it. The <laughs> links to Amazon in the show notes. Damn. Want to thank Nikki Law from Metal Blade for helping hook that up. Uh, very appreciative of that. And um, that's pretty much it. We're going to wrap this extra long episode of Mars Attacks. Hopefully you enjoyed it. This is sort of my uh, uh, me apologizing to you guys for taking so much time off. Uh, hopefully it won't be like that the next time. So there you go. We'll leave you 
with a little bit more of Armored Saint Live. Uh, this is the title track. Uh, screw it. We we already did something off of uh, Wind Hands Down. Definitely a great album. Check that out also. But um, Let's do a little bit of Left Hook from Right Field to take us out here. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast. See ya!
Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 